Hey, it's Mike and Mike, and it's that time of year again, am I right? Oh yeah, it seems like every year around this time, this time of year comes around. <laughs> so here's what's coming up this year at this time, December at Eagle Brook. First up, if you're in middle school or high school, get ready for the ultimate Christmas party, Festival of Festiveness. On Wednesday night, December 14th, students from all of our Eagle Brook locations will gather under one roof at the Lionel Lakes campus. Enjoy a rockin' Christmas carol sing-along with indoor snowfall, what? epic Christmas lights, videos, games. Amazing prizes, hot cocoa for a buck, incredible music, and an awesome message about Jesus. Festival of Festiveness, December 14th. Ground Zero goes from 6 to 7.30, and Rev is from 8 to 9.30. Check out our website for all the details. Next up, Eagle Brook Church is launching a brand new challenge called Give Christmas. For 12 straight days, starting on December 5th and ending on the 16th, we'll reveal a daily challenge to spread Christmas cheer to others. See, Christmas can be a lonely or sad time for many people, and we want to help Eagle Brook attenders give hope and happiness to the people around them. Love that. It's fun, it's creative, and you'll love seeing what cool new ideas appear on our social media channels each day. Give Christmas, spread some joy to someone you love, then invite them to attend our Christmas services. Nice segue. See what I did there? So, December 21st through the 24th, Christmas at Eagle Brook is happening at all our campuses. It's a perfect time to bring your family and friends to experience the good news of Jesus coming to earth. All the times and locations are on our website. And hey, if you're able to come to services on the 21st or 22nd, that'd save room for new people at the later ones. And by the way, there will be no services on Christmas Day, nor on the following weekend. No kidding. What? Wow. Spend that time with the people you love, and we'll be back to our regular services on January 7th and 8th. So that's what's happening in December. Now it's time for today's message. Senior Pastor Bob Merritt brings us the latest message in the series, What Keeps You Up at Night. Enjoy. <laughs> well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Way to go. You brave the snow. This was nothing, no snow at all, really. But anyway, glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well around the country and world. We know this is your connection to our church, so welcome to you as well. And I especially want to welcome those of you who are newer to our church. Uh, we know that it can be um, uncomfortable to come into an unfamiliar place, and so for you to brave that again this weekend, way to go. Last weekend we had the highest non-holiday attendance ever in the history of our church. Over 25,000 people came to our campuses last weekend. So if you're back for a second time or third time this week, we're glad to have you here. I do have a quick uh, an update for you, a financial update. So if you are new to our church, this is not for you. You can take a 30-second real quick nap. But for everybody else who is a part of our church, a couple weeks ago I, I talked about the need for online church so we can bring our full worship service online throughout the country and world. And we need to update our brain center, the technology around that. Even to do a campus number seven and number eight, we would have to do this anyway. But the price tag for that project is $5 million. And talk to a bunch of uh, folks, about 40 families, uh, started us out with $1.6 million. And then since that time till this time, two weeks, two weeks past, we're at $2.2 million which means we have $2.8 left to go. And all I want to do is remind you of that. We're trying to raise this money uh, in the next three weeks or so to the end of the year. So if you are a person of capacity, and a lot of us are, and you have some year-end thoughts about where your money should go, please, please keep us in mind. Help us get to that uh, $5 million mark so that we can really extend our reach 
uh, around the country and world in a, a really fantastic way online. So just keep that in mind if you would. We are in a series called What Keeps You Up at Night, and what keeps a lot of people up at night, I think, is fear. Fear of being alone, losing a job, not having enough money, fear of maybe not having our kids turn out like we would like them to. My, my biggest fear, I've talked to you about this before, is the fear of failure. No matter what I'm able to accomplish, no matter how good I am at something, I can't seem to shake this fear of failure that I have. A close second to that is a fear of rejection. When I think that someone is upset with me or doesn't like me, the main emotion I feel around that is fear. When I feel like I'm being rejected, it triggers childhood memories of getting a bad grade on my report card or getting sent to the principal's office, which happened numerous times in my upbringing. I still have bad dreams till this day about being in a panic at school because I'm not prepared for an exam or I'm failing all my classes. I will wake up in a cold sweat until I realize that I'm 59 and I'm done with school. I did a little research on this. Some of the top fears people have are these. Areophobia is the fear of flying. Some of you have that. Acrophobia, there's a fear of heights, is common. Ergophobia is a fear of work. And then this one, pentrophobia, fear of your mother-in-law. That's actually a real fear. Might be a good fear, I don't know. About 10 years ago, I thought I wanted to jump out of a plane. It was insane. I thought I wanted to do this. So three other guys from our church joined me. We actually checked our life insurance policies before we did this. Drove to Baldwin, Wisconsin. And after signing 25 pages of liability release forms, we walked past the staging area where a bunch of teenagers were refolding the parachutes. All four of us stopped. We looked at this ragtag group of kids, and I asked this question. I said, has any of these chutes ever failed? A kid with a ponytail and about 13 body piercings said, yeah, but that's why there's a second chute. <laughs> None of us had the courage to ask if the second chute have ever, have ever failed. This is a tandem jump, which means that you're strapped to the chest of a professional. I had Joe an excitable 30-year-old with ADD and a love for beer, because he kept mentioning that. And he said to me, he said, if the chute don't open, the last thing to go through your mind will be my skull. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, I've only had to use my second chute eight times. <laughs> Suddenly, I wasn't feeling well. We climbed about 10,000 feet, and then Joe got real serious. He double-checked the chute straps and altimeter on his wrist. He cinched me in tightly to his chest, and then he said to me with a stern voice, don't touch a thing. We climbed to 13,000 feet. The tension was building. Then somebody shoved open the door. We felt the cold air hit us from altitude, and we watched the first guy disappear solo out the door and just shoot like a bullet toward the earth. I was sick, <laughs> nauseous. My friend Dean and I were the last two guys to go. And when I saw Dean, who happened to be the chairman of our church at that time, slide toward the door, give the final thumbs up toward me, and fell toward the earth upside down, it was the freakiest thing I've ever seen. He was a speck within seconds. Now it was my turn. The last thing Joe said to me 
was this. There's only one way to do this or we're going to (laughs) die. Completely terrified, I slid toward the door. And if you ask me what I was thinking in that moment, it felt like I had made the most irresponsible decision of my life. But it was too late to turn back. So I just surrendered and jumped out the door. The first 10 seconds were the most insane feeling I have ever had. I fell out head first, then upside down on my back, and there's this feeling of being completely out of control. When they call it a free free fall, that's exactly what it is. The G-force on your body is immediate. Then Joe flipped us over, and I could see the earth coming toward me at 120 miles an hour. We were in a free fall for a full minute And I realized that if this chute doesn't open, we're going to be dead in three minutes. That was the thought that went through my mind. I saw Joe check his altimeter, then he checked it a second time. He tapped me on the shoulder. I felt a sudden jerk, and the chute opened up. (laughs) And we lived. You got to check out this just quick video that we have of this couple of seconds. smiling, but we shouldn't be. Not fun at all. It's just sick. Again. You know, people have asked me if it was fun, and would I do it again? It wasn't, and I wouldn't. Ever again would I do that. And I was afraid because I didn't know if I could trust the shoot, trust Joe, or trust the kid with 18 body piercings who folded my shoot. I just didn't know if I, nothing wrong with that. If you want to do, that's fine. I just didn't know if I could trust it, and I was afraid because all of that was out of my control, and I just wonder today, is there something in your life that is out of your control, and it makes you afraid? Can I tell you something? God knows what that fear is in your life. He understands that fear, and if you will let him, he can help you overcome any fear that you and I might have. In fact, the command to fear not in the Bible is the most repeated command in the Bible. 366 times the Bible says, fear not. One for every day of the year plus one for leap year. 366 times, God says to not fear. Why does he tell us so often not to fear? Because God knew we would struggle with this issue of fear. So over in Mark chapter 4, a few of Jesus' disciples were in a situation that was out of their control, and the main emotion they felt was fear. Jesus had just finished teaching a crowd of people near the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to see what it says in Mark 4. When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the sea. So they started out, leaving the crowds behind them, but soon a fierce storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat until it was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat when the disciples woke him and shouted, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
Did some research on this. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level, but is surrounded by mountains. And so it's very common for storms just to pop up out of nowhere. So it's a bad scene. It's nighttime. Waves are crashing over, flooding the boat, and Jesus is just asleep in the back. So they wake him and they shout, Don't you care? Aren't you the bit concerned? How can you sleep? When we're about to drown, but Jesus knew something that those disciples didn't yet know. Jesus knew that inside their boat was a person and power that's stronger than any storm. There is a person, there is a power that's stronger than any storm that you and I might have. So it says this He got up, He rebuked the wind and the waves, and He said, Be still. The wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, now here's the question of the day, why are you so afraid? Obviously because of the storm, but now they're terrified by something else because it says this, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Storms we understand. We understand the power of a storm. What we don't understand and have never seen is a man, a person, who has power over a storm. So storm hits. And gang, Jesus asked the question, the very question I want to ask all of you at all of our sites and across the world. Why are you so afraid at times? Why are we so afraid? As I look at this event, I think there's three reasons why they and us become so afraid at times. The first reason is this. They simply didn't realize that storms are really quite normal. The disciples were, were very familiar with storms that popped up frequently on the Sea of Galilee. And yet with this, when this storm hit, they were just panicked as if this was unusual. You know, maybe they thought because Jesus was with them, they would have no more storms in their life. Some people think that. They think, you know, if I'm with Jesus, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a really good person, I won't have any more storms. It'll be smooth sailing for the rest of my life. That is so not true. That's not even biblical. Jesus said it this way, in this world, you and I, are going to have trouble. Anybody here, don't raise any hands, but anybody having trouble? All of us have trouble at times. In this world, you and I will have trouble. Gang, storms are normal. In fact, here's what I believe. You are either in a storm right now, coming out of a storm, or you're gonna go into a storm. Eventually, if your life's sweet sailing right now, you're gonna go into a storm, guaranteed, every single one of us here. Because storms are normal. It doesn't matter who you are. And I believe also a necessary part of our growing process. I was talking to my son about this just last week. And he said, you know, Dad, the most common prayer when someone's going through a storm is, God, please take this away. Isn't that true? We want the storm to stop. So we pray, God, Please take this away. But David said, instead of asking God to take it away, maybe we should ask things like, what can I learn through this? 
What might God want to teach me about trust and perseverance and prayer? He said sometimes God doesn't calm the storm, but he, he equips us to get through it so that we'll become stronger and wiser and more able to handle life. And he was right on the money. I'm telling you, the most important things I have learned about being married and raising kids and building a staff and church have all come through hardship, battering storms. In fact, you can't, I don't think you can become great at anything in life unless you go through a series of storms that force you to grow up and gain wisdom. I love what James 1.12 says. Look at this great verse. Blessed is the person who's comfortable. Blessed is the person whose life is just going so well. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? Blessed, blessed is the person who perseveres under trial because when you have stood the test, not run from the test, not tried to avoid the test, but when you have stood the test, then you'll receive the rewards of life. There are going to be seasons in your life and mine that are just hard. Maybe it's a financial hardship, a health problem, a conflict with somebody, and the only thing you can do is persevere, is just find the inner strength to stick with it and get through that difficulty until day after day, until there's some kind of resolution, some kind of breakthrough. Gang, it is so tempting to quit when times get tough. But if you always quit, you're gonna miss the rewards of life, like growing in wisdom when your marriage gets tough, Growing in understanding how to forgive and how to get along. Growing in endurance and in trusting, trusting God. The disciples didn't realize storms are normal. Number two, they didn't realize who was in their boat because this is what they said. Who is this guy? Now they knew he was special, but they didn't really know who Jesus was in that moment, that even the wind and the waves, of, they did not know that Jesus was actually God in the flesh, in their boat. Every morning, after I read a little bit from the Bible, I read a little bit from a good book, and then I will pray. Bow my head right at my desk and kind of look out the window a little bit and just reflect and get in a prayerful attitude. And the first thing I usually pray is, God, I worship you because you are all-powerful. You've created everything that exists. You've created me. You've created this world. Everything that exists, God, there's nothing you can't do. You're all powerful. Then I pray, God, and you are all knowing. There's nothing you don't know about this universe. There's nothing you don't know about me, my fears, my future. God, you're all powerful, but you're also all knowing. You know exactly what's going on in my life. And then I pray this, and God, you are all present in my office right now, right here with me, this all-powerful God, this all-knowing God who created all that exists, this amazing, 
being is right here. And when I pray that last part, I'm just undone. I can hardly look up. Because when I realize that the same God who created all that exists is right here with me in my office, then there's nothing really that I can't get through with his power. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says it this way. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is living inside each of you if you are a follower of Christ. And that's a shocking reality. Not only is God always with you, but the same God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living inside those of you who are believers by his spirit. And if that same God is right beside me, living inside me, then with his power, I'm pretty sure I can get through my next meeting. Pretty sure I can write my next message, survive my next conflict, overcome my next storm. The disciples were afraid because they didn't know who was in their boat. And so I want to ask all of you, who's in your boat? Giving you the strength and courage to get through life. Who's in your boat? Who's in your office, your home, your dorm room, your classroom? Who's in your boat? If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is always, always. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, especially during a storm. I love the, I love the little story of the four-year-old girl who was getting a checkup by the doctor. And the doctor looked in her ears with his otoscope and he said, you think I'll find big bird in there? The girl was quiet. And then he checked her throat and he said, do you think I'll find the cookie monster down there? And again, she was quiet. He listened to her heart and he said, do you think I'll hear Elmo in there? Finally, she spoke up and she said, of course not. Jesus is in my heart. Elmo's on my underpants. <laughs> you know, of course. I was five years old. When I asked Jesus into my heart, into my life, and I think Snoopy was on my underpants. But ever since I was a young boy, think of this, ever since I was young, Jesus Christ has been in my life, giving me strength and wisdom and power that comes from him that I need to get through life storms. The whole reason I'm standing here today, doing what I do, what scares me to death half the time, is because God has never left me or failed me. And what's concerning to me is some of you are completely alone when a storm hits because you haven't invited Jesus into your life by faith, some of you. You face all of life's storms alone without God. And honestly, I have no idea how you do that. If you wonder why you're afraid a lot, why you're anxious a lot, you might think it's because of a bad relationship or lack of money or poor health, and that may be part of it. But I'm telling you, the main reason some of you struggle with so much fear is because it's you against the world. It's you against any kind of health problem, family crisis, job loss, or even death. It's all on you. The disciples were afraid because they didn't know 
who was in their boat. So again, who's in your boat? I'm telling you, if Jesus can calm an actual storm, he can calm the storm in your soul. If he can stop the wind, he can stop disease from spreading. He doesn't always do it, but he can. If he can overcome the sea, he can help you overcome any addiction or loneliness or failure that you might have. The same Jesus who was in that boat with the disciples that day is the same Jesus who is alive today and resides inside every believer through faith. So who's in your boat? Giving you the courage and power to face your storms. The third reasons, third reason they were afraid, they didn't understand there's a connection between our fear and our level of trust. When you're sailing over an open sea at night and a storm hits, the main emotion all of us would, would feel is fear. Uh, storms scare us. They scare me. Fear is not something I have conquered in my life. I, I, I'm still afraid at times. Uh, for example, I'm incredibly grateful to be leading this, this tremendous church, but the fear I have about doing that is constant. There's an insecurity that I have that's very real. But here's what I'm learning about my fears, that, that what I fear the most is usually where I'm trusting God the least. That when my fear is really high, my trust is usually really low. But the Bible tells me to do this, to cast all my fears on him. Because he will take care of you. I don't do that very well. I tend to cast all my fears on myself and I try to carry all my fears by myself. But what I'm trying to do these days is when I'm, af when I'm afraid is to try to recognize that fear, to stop, identify what it is. And then I try to, in prayer, give that fear to Jesus because he can handle it to just surrender and give him the control, and I have to choose to do it. It's, it's a deliberate decision to pray, God, I'm going to give this fear to you, and I'm going to trust that you will handle it. It's a choice I have to make over and over until it becomes my normal response to fear because there is a direct connection between my level of fear and my level of trust. Now, some of you might be thinking, Bob, does God really care about the fear that I have about my kids? Or about my money? Or about this conflict I'm having with my friend or boss? Does God, does God really care how desperate I feel sometimes? And can I count on him, really, if I give up control and trust him fully? You know, the one thing the disciples did right that night is they called out to Jesus. They said, Jesus, wake up. We're going to drown. And maybe some of us need to do that today. Maybe you've tried everything else, but the one thing you haven't tried is to call out to Jesus to save you, 
to be with you, to protect you, to see you through, to cast all your fears, all your fears on him, to finally give up the control and completely trust God to deliver you. What's it gonna take for some of us to do that? I've mentioned this story several times before, but it's a great picture of how God loves us, I think, and wants to help us in life storms. When my kids were two and three years old, I was in a swing, swimming pool, chest high swimming pool, and I was trying to get them to jump, and they'd never been in a pool like that. So finally, Meg built up enough courage, and she jumped, and I caught her, and I spun her around, and it was a big thrill. Her little brother was standing there watching this whole thing, and after three more jumps with Meg, he decided he was ready. So he edged his way up to the side of the pool, and he jumped. And he laughed, and he kicked, and I spun him around, and that's all it took. I couldn't put my kids back on the deck fast enough for the other one to you know, want their turn back and forth just having a ball. Boy, this, this is the way they looked when their mother was in charge uh, back then, and, and this is the way they looked when I was in charge at times. But <laughs> it was Meg's turn, and her courage was building, and so... She jumped, and I caught her, and I took her on an extra long spin, just splashing and kicking. But while I was doing that, David had decided he had waited long enough, and so with complete trust, he jumped in. And I never saw him. I had Meg in the middle of the pool, spinning and splashing, and I never knew that David was behind me, sinking and drowning. And a lady who just happened to be near the pool, she hollered, she said, sir, your son. And I turned and I will never forget the sight of my two-year-old boy, three feet under. I had Megan one arm with all the strength I had. I rushed over, I pulled him to the surface and I quickly set him and Meg on the edge of the pool and after a few spurts and sputters, he started crying and I knew he was okay. Then I started crying, and I wrapped my arms around my two kids, told them I loved them, and I advised them that we ought not tell their mother about this whole thing. <laughs> no more fun outings with dad if you tell mom about this. We're dead. But as a loving father, I would do anything to rescue my kids. I'd go to any length. I'd sacrifice my own life if that's what it took. And I'm telling you, that's what our Heavenly Father is like. The Bible said God so loved this world. God so loves each one of you. God so loves you that he sent his son Jesus to save us from drowning in sin, drowning in failure and fear. The disciples said, Jesus, we're drowning. And some of you might feel that way today, that you're drowning in something. And you're afraid. And the good news is you don't have to live that way. People who have Jesus in their life can be in the middle of a storm and other people wonder why they're not falling apart. 
They wonder, how come your world's falling apart, but you're not falling apart? Why aren't you going crazy with fear? Why, don't you, why do you have peace in the middle of the storm and you're able to tell them, it's not perfect. I still become afraid, but it's because I have someone living inside me that inside my boat is a person and a power that is stronger than any storm. And that when I call out to him to save me, he does. He meets me in my fear and he calms my storm. Not perfectly. But he does. Now, you still have to show up. You still have to do your part. You still have to study hard if you're in school. You still have to work hard if you have a job. You still have to manage your money well and not overspend. You have to take care of yourself. You still have to do your part. God gave you a strong body, perhaps, and a strong mind, perhaps. But some storms are beyond our control. Nobody can control a random layoff or a bout with cancer or the death of a child. But people who weather those storms the best do everything they can, and then they trust God. For the rest in this world and in the next. At all campuses, again, it's been great to be with you today. We continue our series next week What Keeps You Up at Night? Kids. And I invite all of you back. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, as we stand before you, um, there are all kinds of storms represented here going on in people's lives. I pray that you will reassure each one of us that you're there. But sometimes it's not to remove the storm, but it's to, to equip us to get through it so that we'll be stronger, more empathetic, softer in our spirit, more loving and kind toward those who are experiencing something like that. I want to pray a quick prayer for those of you who are standing here and you don't know who's in your boat. I just want to pray a quick prayer. You can, you can put your full trust in Jesus Christ right now as we stand here. Just a real brief prayer. You can pray this quietly where you're standing. And you, be, you can begin to know the assurance and the protection and the strength of the God who loves you and will do anything to rescue you. If you want a new peace and a new strength and a new happiness that you have not been able to find, I want to invite you to pray the prayer that will begin that, that new day for you. It goes like this, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for rescuing me or offering to rescue me in this moment. So right now, right here, Lord Jesus, I'm going to put my full trust in you. I'm going to give up the control. 
of my life. For the first time ever, I'm going to trust you as the God who can calm any storm, can control, control the sea, can stop whatever it is that's overwhelming my, my life. So right now, right here, God, I put my full trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my wrongdoing and begin to put me back together again. Thank you for saving me in this moment. I will try to follow you and worship you for the rest of my life. I pray this prayer in faith, not by works am I saved, but by faith in you. Amen.